Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Monday, May 4th, 2020. Good evening and welcome to the reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host, Tony Acero. What up? And Tony, allow me to wax philosophical for a few moments to start the show. Sure, why not? Can you imagine what you'd be doing with your Mondays if we didn't have a show? I'd be prepping my bar for the inevitable tomorrow. Well, not right now you wouldn't be. Well, I guess that yeah, depends maybe. on when California is. That depends on when California is opening back up, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Ohio's still grounded for another month. They said y'all ain't doing shit. Yeah, I think we're entering a phase one. Whatever that means, I'm unsure. But I do know that the restaurant industry is more in phase two than anything else. So, the reason I ask is because we actually came across this while we were talking last week. Because on occasion, Tony and I message when we're not doing the show day. And in my memories, it just so happened to pop up that our six-year anniversary was April 28th. Yeah. I did not know the exact date, so that was nice to see. Go ahead. You know you want to. (laughs) I really don't. What is it that I want to do? That whole conversation we had on Facebook. That was so long ago. I don't remember. Where you, Michael Cole, and I just shook my head. Hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I said something funny, but I don't remember what I said. I'm not saying what you said because I refuse to use that line about our podcast. So if people want to know, they can check out my personal Facebook page, Harry Broadhurst, and find the the, uh, the memory that I reposted back on the 28th that oh. mentions the fact that it was the day of the very first episode. Are you talking about the fact that we're the longest-running weekly episode oh, of podcast of all times? You know what, just for that, I'm going to come back with something just as corny as well. May the fourth be with you, Tony. 
the longest-running weekly episodic podcast of all. I mean, pretty much Probably all of them, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm At least all of them on Blog Talk. I'd say all of them <laughs> on Chair Shot. <laughs> oh, for, for sure we have Chair Shot covered. I'm almost certain of that. Even if we aren't weekly, we still probably have the most episodes combined compared to all I the mean, rest consider, of the shows on the network. Consider the fact... Consider the fact that we've been around longer than the chair shot has been around. So, <laughs> this is true as well. Which actually reminds me of what I wanted to do with this particular show open. I wanted to take a few quick moments and thank a couple of people who have long since moved on and away from the product. Uh, remember Bruce Hart? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you remember Jay Aleto? Yep. Remember Jimmy Christopher, a.k.a. Tom John? I do. Rick Baylon, Andrew Belez, Liz Puglisi, all of these people have played a part in the, either giving the, giving the reaction or the raw reaction, as it was known at the time, a place to broadcast. Um, Bruce Hart owned, I forget the exact name of the radio station, what it was. Uh, Heartbeat Radio, I think it was called, for the, for the network. And then and Jay Robert Leto had – for a little bit. Uh, P- uh, Jay Aletto had PWP Nation back when that was still a thing. I think the website's still open, mm-hmm. but nobody uses it anymore, as I understand it. Sorry, Jay. No mean to, no need, don't mean to cast aspersions, but your site's gone downhill, brother. Um, in addition, we have the uh, the Facebook group as well, which just celebrated its eighth anniversary back at the beginning of April, so that's been going strong as well. That was the thing two years before the show even became a thing. I think what happened yeah. was Greg was starting to put the podcast network back together and came to – I'm sure he went to you first because you and Greg are boys and probably still are to this point. And then he was looking for somebody, who do I know that watches religiously and could probably not fuck this up? I know. I'll message Harry. It's unfortunate for Greg yeah. that I completely fucked this up. <laughs> He was looking. He was looking for somebody that would let me rant, but not let me go off the rails. <laughs> let you rant, but not let you tirade. Yeah. I guess he Tirading is kind of that. my gimmick around here. Exactly. <laughs> I don't let loose often, he, I, but what I do. Yeah, I think he orchestrated a very nice balance. But anyway, great, so yeah, we just celebrated. Smarter than people give him oh, credit for. Oh, go ahead. For. He's smarter uh, than I sometimes. think a lot of people give him credit for. Yeah, he's not so smart. I'm, I'm. He'll tell you I'm smarter than him, but he's smarter than I think he gives himself credit for. <laughs> you know, you know who's smarter than all three of us combined? Tugster. <laughs> yes. Congrats to her, my little sister. Just found out that she was accepted to the design program at Cal State Long Beach. She worked hours and hours on numerous projects over the course of almost three years just to get into this thing, and she got accepted. So super proud of her. Way to go, Sophia. She's going to be mad that I didn't call her folkster there? Probably a little. Nah. I'm going to wonder – I wonder if she'd be able to design a better match at the Money in the Bank than what we're going to see this weekend. Well, can we at least give it a chance before we shit all over – I mean, we're going to shit all over it when we do our predictions anyway, but can we at least give it a chance before we do so? 
Did I hear that Too they much- were going to have the men and women's match on at the same time? They are going to be operating simultaneously. Yes, you heard correctly. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which would have made much more per- which would have made much more sense, and we might as well use this to segue right to SmackDown, as the two qualifying matches from this week's episode of SmackDown were Mandy Rose taking on Carmella from the women's side, and Otis taking on Dolph Ziggler on the men's side. Otis qualifies, pinning Ziggler in the main event because that's where Dolph Ziggler belongs in 2020, and Carmella qualifies after Sonya Deville distracts Mandy Rose, and it is super kick a la bye bye for the victory for Carmella. Um, okay, if you're going to do these matches simultaneously, wouldn't it have made sense to put Otis and Mandy Rose in the matches together so that way they could work as a cohesive unit? I mean, sure, the match is going to be a clusterfuck anyway. We probably understand that. But at least you could have some semblance of storyline continuity there with Otis and Mandy being in the matches together as well and working together towards achieving their respective goals of being the Universal and the SmackDown Women's Champions, no? I mean, there's a lot of issues with that. I wouldn't want my significant other helping me to achieve something that should be a singular, um, you know, success story. But aside from that, just logistically, like, men shouldn't be getting involved and vice versa and all that other bullshit. I don't know. It just it sounds like a mess. And, you know, I am hopeful. I am hopeful that they can put together something. But this isn't going to be a, cinema, a cinematic match. That's my problem is that we're not going to get the glitz and glamour of the Boneyard match, and we're not going to get the hilarity and the tongue-in-cheekness of the um, the um, Bray Wyatt and Cena match. I think we're going to get is the Orton versus Edge match, which was not bad, but certainly not great, and a little too long. And this that was two people who I think are pretty good at storytelling in the ring. That's not what Sunday's looking out to be. <laughs> Well, you do realize this match has been pre-taped, right? Yeah. It doesn't change the quality of it. I See, I think it does. I think it's less likely to be clusterfucky in with the pre-tape. One would assume that, but we've seen WWE have non-live shows still have numerous, like, issues. Let me ask you this. How would you have felt about them going Boiler Room Brawl style for this? I'm on a 1996 kick because that's where I'm at in my watch-through. How would you have felt about oh. them pre-recording the fight up to the top of the building and then going live for the actual brawl with the ladders and everything on the roof? I feel like that probably could have ended badly. It still would have been cool visually. Yeah, I mean, look, we're going to get some cool spots. We're going to get some fun. But by and large, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't expect a lot out of this. I think there's enough stuff on the undercard, though, that this could still end up being an entertaining show. And we will be getting to our predictions a little bit later on in the show for this particular very interesting, at least from a presentation standpoint, edition of Money in the Bank. Um, The other thing that I want... The most unique Money in the Bank match ever. You start talking in cliches like Phillips and Cole, I'm going to start muting your ass. Wish I could mute them. Um, you have a mute button on your remote, Tony. That mutes the whole show. Uh, okay, and Byron Saxton, Saxton's going to say something of importance. Samoa Joe might, because Samoa Joe's awesome. 
promote great. All right, let's get back to SmackDown, though. So the other thing to discuss from SmackDown was the what it, real quick before we move on. What did you think of the two qualifying matches? Do you like the uh, Mandy Rose Sonya Deville turn there with the, the post match attack by uh, Sonya and Mandy? Apparently, she laid in yeah, a pretty I mean, good beating. As the pictures that Sonya posted on or the pictures that Mandy posted on her Twitter were pretty indicative of the attack that Sonya laid in. Yeah, it's kind of kind of par for the course. I expected it, so it it was done well enough. I didn't. Ex- I don't really need Mandy in a Money in the Bank match right now, and that's not to say that she shouldn't always be gunning for the title. But it just comes to that point where some stories are bigger than the title, and she's in the middle of a story that is arguably bigger than that. So I, I like her where she's at. Yeah, one would argue that the storyline that she's in with. Uh storyline that she's in with Tonya Deville is it coming to a head after about two years of a subtle burn because they've teased them breaking up several times without actually pulling the trigger and now that they've actually pulled the trigger they seem to have at least from what I'm seeing online uh, casual interest at the very least yeah I mean they they've done enough uh, in in terms of you remember where these two women came from and how little faith some people had in them, you know, and and look at where they're at now and all the effort that they put into doing that. So if there's ever going to be a success story of two people coming up, then this is kind of, this is one of the few uh, programs that has been a a little better done than others, especially considering, again, where they came from. These girls have put in a lot of work to be the best versions of themselves on TV, and I think that they've been consistent and they've been strong. And we've seen the growth because it wasn't too long ago where Mandy was literally nothing but eye candy. The other main match that I wanted to discuss is we've been kind of keeping an eye on the on the tag team picture over on SmackDown. And it looks like we are going to get a four-way tag team match at Money in the Bank for the SmackDown tag team titles. But the big thing that I wanted to talk to you about is the Jimmy Uso injury that's going to leave Jimmy out six to nine months. Reports are that the Uso injury is actually what led to the Forgotten Sons getting the call up post WrestleMania. Uh, obviously, losing the Usos again is a big loss for SmackDown, even though they just come back from being suspended anyway. What do you think about the Uso uh, the Uso loss here? And do you think that they're going, they're going to do anything with Jay as a solo while Jimmy's out, or just kind of let them fade off into the distance until Jimmy's ready to go again? It's hard to say. Um, I think that they're gonna. There's no, there's, I don't think there's interest in Jay as a single star from the WWE. Okay. We're in a weird, cli- we're in a weird climate where if there's an option for a wrestler to stay home, it may be best for that wrestler to do just that. Um, so I don't really see them taking advantage of the single possibility of a singles push. With that being said, it, it saddens me anytime any um, wrestler is injured, uh, regardless of reason or, or fault. So it sucks. I'm glad that you know that it uh, wasn't a DUI. But um, aside from that, it's just, it's unfortunate because the Usos are fucking great. And they never really, since their return, they haven't really caught back onto the stride that we're used to of them having. So it's sad. Um, with that being said, I'm not really interested in the tag team division right now as a whole. Uh, and the Forgotten Sons are not changing my mind. So it's kind of a thing that's on the sh- on TV that I'm not really like, excited about. 
Yeah, the Forgotten Sons had a match with the New Day over on SmackDown, and they picked up the victory when uh, Wesley Blake, the least talented half of Blake and Murphy, got the pinfall on Kofi Kingston with their diving reverse DDT stomp combination. Overall, um, do you think they have anything with the Forgotten Sons? Do you think that this is going to be a, a team that sticks around for any kind of length of time, or do you think once the Usos and everybody else get the ball rolling back in the SmackDown Tag Division, the Forgotten Sons are going to fuck off back to NXT where they were? It's hard for me to pinpoint exactly what's wrong with all of the recent call-ups. Um, it's something that I'd have to sit down and think about a little bit, maybe even write a column about but they're doing it way wrong. And I'm not just talking about the Forgotten Sons. We're talking about Austin Theory and Vink and Thorne and, um, you know, just these people that they're bringing in, even to get squashed by Sheamus or whatever. Like, there's just – they come off as cookie cutter, even in their quote-unquote uniqueness. You know what I mean? There's only a certain amount – it's like the creator-wrestler stigma that's going on here. Like – they have a unique look on TV, but we've seen any number of this particular wrestler numerous times or that tag team. We've seen it already, you know? So um, I feel that they're, they're kind of half-assing the debuts. None of them are new. They're, they're all the same. It's a squash match. And it's just like, there's nothing really important. They get a win over an established act and they're, they're streamlining and they're pushing these people fast. And what's unfortunate is, is when we get back to the normality of things, if we do really relatively soon, I feel that these tag teams and singular stars are going to get pushed aside for the people that people have been clamoring for. You know, there's just not enough room for them on the main roster when we get things going. And who's going to step aside? Is it going to be the people that we haven't seen in a while, or is it going to be these new guys who, unfortunately, will most likely get sent back down to NXT? We'll talk more about the whole Brandon Vink and Shane Thorne thing from tonight's episode of Raw when we get to tonight's Raw here, but focusing over on SmackDown. I think that the Forgotten Sons could be quality uh, house show players. The only one of the Forgotten Sons that I really see any kind of potential in is Jackson Riker, and that's just because I liked him when he was Gunner in TNA. Hmm. What, so what, T, what, what is, what is this? Uh, har, har, har. All right. Quick hits for SmackDown. Daniel Bryan opened the show with a promo calling out his opponent for tonight. That, well, Friday night, you know, live, allegedly. King Corbin also talks about the fact that Corbin got by Drew Gulak thanks to Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro, which he's not wrong. Corbin comes out and says that he did what he had to do, and he's back in Money in the Bank, and he's going to win it again. Brian says that Brian says that he's ready to once again be Mr. Money in the Bank and to reach back to the heights that he reached when the original cash-in back in 2013? 12. End of 2011 into 2012. All right. Brian and Corbin then have a singles match. It goes 15 minutes, a little over. Disqualification when Corbin throws a ringside ladder at Brian. Okay, to their credit, at least somebody finally used one of those goddamn ladders in a match.
What did you think of Brian and Corbin? I love Brian. I hate Corbin. So somewhere in the middle. Um, no, that's a very <laughs> generic response. Uh, <laughs> Corbin has shown potential to grow, and he's shown interest in growing. And there's been spurts of time between now and when he um, first shaved his head where, you know, you could say he's been better than he was before. But I don't know, just something about his character is unappealing and not in the, oh, I'm supposed to hate this guy type of way, just in the I'd rather see Daniel Bryan wrestle anybody else type of way. I'd rather see Daniel Bryan feuding with Drew Gillette still rather than feuding with King Corbin. Six-man tag team match announced for next week with uh, Brian Corbin, or excuse me, yeah, Brian, um, Brian Gulak and a mystery partner to take on King Corbin, Cesaro, and Nakamura. Any preference for who the mystery partner might be? I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw an off-the-wall prediction at you, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it first. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any predictions. I'd like to see it be Chad Gable. Who? Yeah, I'm not using that ridiculous fucking name, Tony. You can forget <laughs> that. <laughs> Hell no, I won't go. I'd love to see it be Gable. And now that Apollo Crews is gone from SmackDown over to Raw, Gable's not up to anything right now. Gulak could turn. Gulak's worked wonders with Brian. The pairing with Brian's been a lot better than I think people anticipated it being. I think that working with Gulak could do wonders for uh, Gable as well. That's good shit, pal. You're not helping, Tony. Yeah, well. Got to put in a little bit of effort. I know it's a pre-tape, but still, work with me here. Moving on. Fine. (laughs) Braun and Alexa backstage. Alexa hands Braun one of her shirts. Braun towels off with it and tries to toss it back to Alexa. Alexa takes two steps back and lets the shirt fall to the floor, which I thought was hilarious. It's the little things that Alexa does that make Alexa stick out. Not yes. making the obvious sexual joke here. <laughs> the fact that she's hot as fuck helps, but Alexa's got her character nailed as well, which helps. Anyway. Yeah. Strowman and Wyatt. People who they, has the, uh, she has the, uh, her own personality just turned up a little bit more. If it's kind of effortless just from what it looks like. Strowman and Wyatt from... Uh, from this week here, you had Bray Wyatt reading the story inside of the Firefly Funhouse about the black sheep who abandoned his farmer. Obviously, going back to the days of Braun as the black sheep in the Wyatt family here. Although I do like that uh, Wyatt also mentioned the fact that his other two follow the other members of the other animals on the farm had abandoned him as well, which was a subtle little shout out to Harper and Rowan. Uh huh. Face to. Face-to-face confrontation next week. They meet on Sunday for the SmackDown Universal Championship. Do you have any interest at all in this match? Um, yeah. I mean, the story is there, and they're trying hard with it. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay, sorry. You know what? I gave them too much credit. They're trying with it. 
And it's one of those stories that doesn't really need a lot of help. I mean, from Bray's point of view, it makes sense, you know. And and if you look at the trajectory of their history, Braun Strowman really didn't thank Bray, you know. Not saying that there was supposed to be some public display of affection, but, you know, again, we've said it many times before, the best heels are the ones that believe they're right. And although we're in this weird world where there's no crowd to really gauge the reaction, I think that they're not doing the worst possible story here. Um, the weird thing is literally just the fact that, you know, we're interchanging champions for Bray to feud with. <laughs> At least he's not stuck with Goldberg still. Man. That's my biggest Ugh. takeaway from this. Ugh, yeah. that's right. Sheamus takes out Leon Ruff in a minute and 55 seconds. Not worth talking about the match. Instead, we'll talk about the fact that Jeff Hardy returns next week to SmackDown into a one-on-one match with Sheamus as predicted. Sheamus and Hardy have had some decent matches in the past year. Do you think Jeff still has anything left in the tank? I don't know, man. I haven't seen him in a while. I mean, ew, shit, I guess. Depends which Jeff shows up. <laughs> Fair. Do you have any personal interest in this match at all? Mm, not really. Like, I want to be more invested in this match, but I'm just, I'm not. Because we haven't seen Jeff on television in a, in a long time. Sheamus has been kind of persona non grata ever since his return. I mean, yeah, he came back right around the Royal Rumble, and then he did fuck all from Rumble to Mania. Yep. So there's not really a whole lot of meat on the bone between these two people to have any kind of a situation where we're invested enough in their story to care. I think that brings us to a wrap for SmackDown because we already talked about the two we already talked about the two money in the bank qualifiers and we already discussed uh the non title tag team match as well. Speaking of non title tag team matches you know what the, your favorite cliche in the WWE is, Tony? Or should I say their Which, favorite cliche? What's that? Beat the champion to get a title shot. Man. I could have done without I mean, having the street. I could have done without having the Street Profits getting beaten on Raw tonight. I think that this is a match that if you would announce Street Profits versus Viking Raiders for the Raw Tag Team titles at Money in the Bank, nobody would have questioned that. Right. Instead, they have a they have a tag team match tonight, and while the match is good, I'm not going to sit here and complain about the match because the match was actually pretty good, and I think that these two teams have really good chemistry together. That being said, it was the worst thing it could possibly be in wrestling, and that's unnecessary. You have to when you're creating a match for a pay per view. I mean, they haven't done. The whole model has been flipped upside down. Um, it used to be you were building up to an eventual match at a pay-per-view. I can't recall the last time we had that model set in stone. More often than not, we get different variations of one member of the tag team facing the other, one member of the other tag team. Um, or we get them, like, you know, having a, like, one-minute match that's supposed to, quote-unquote, make you clamor for more. Uh, they don't do the whole slow burn or eventual build or announcement of a match and then see what happens within the next four weeks. Um, and I don't know why. I don't – somewhere – somebody somewhere said that this is how to train your audience. And 
maybe they maybe they do do a good job and we're just not that audience that they're trying to um, cater to, which is something we've heard a lot, you know, over the past several years. I don't necessarily believe that to be true, but whatever. Let's just assume that that's the case. Then we're looking at this as a, a buildup of anticipation. And unless you have two teams that absolutely kill in the ring, no one's going to want to see it again, you know, because – Okay, but what you're doing is you're setting up the you're setting up disappointment, no matter how little, because either a we get the same exact match, which we've seen happen. How many times have you and I have noticed almost move for move, literally the WrestleMania rematch was almost move for move the same match down to the after the bell beatdown. Like it's lazy, and it's not even the wrestlers' fault. Um, so you get to this point where the Viking Raiders win, so why do we have to see it again? Either A, they're going to win or get, they're going to win, and they're going to get the belts, and then what? We have a, a rematch after that? Or they're not going to win, and we already know that's coming because we saw them win earlier. You know, but this time it's for the belts. Like, I don't, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work unless the initial match that happens, in my opinion, is so amazing that you want to see these people go at it again. You want to see the Usos and New Day clash again, and it just so happens that the titles are on the line, fuck yeah, it's going to be great. This, you got two teams, both young, both hungry, great chemistry, awesome match, but not nearly to that level that makes you, you know, chomp at the bit for another one, but this time for the title. The fact of the matter is is that the Usos and the New Day have built up equity with the fans, that they could put out the same matches, even if there's slight modifications on them, and fans are going to be more willing to give them the, the mainstream fans are going to be more willing to give them a pass and they're going to be likely to give the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits. Why? Because we don't know enough about the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits to care about any kind of an extended program between the two of them, let alone any kind of extended program where you're immediately beating the champions before anything of value is on the line. This That is a very important uh, topic that I wanted to discuss immediately after you were done talking, is the idea that we have no idea who these people are. Um, we know who the street profits are, but they're becoming more and more a caricature of what we want, what they want us to believe them to be. Um, that added fold of Bianca, admonishing them after they, you know, were, weren't taking things seriously, that has potential. I almost, I almost anticipated tonight them going backstage and her being like, oh, no, uh-uh, what the hell was that? That cannot happen. And, you know, giving just another little fold to who they are, like they're fun-loving party dudes, they need to take this shit more seriously. Versus the Viking Raiders, who a few weeks ago we saw doing carpool karaoke for some reason, and then we have a promo in the backstage area where Eric is using his I'm a Viking voice, and then Ivar is talking like a dude I just had a fucking barbecue and a beer with a couple months ago. Like, neither, neither one of those are wrong, inconsistent. So we don't know who they are. Are you trying to do this hybrid of I am a Viking or are you doing this I love Viking lore and I want to show homage to it in my wrestling and matches? I'm not saying you have to spell that out, but you're not doing anything right now. You're not even, you're, you're not, I don't know, it just comes off as weird. Especially that promo. I know it's small, but it was weird to see, um, it was weird to see Eric use his, you know, I'm a Viking voice, and then Ivar talk like any old, you know, any any other dude. Yeah, it was weird to hear Eric be Eric and then Ivar be Todd. 
Todd Smith being his actual given name. Any, anywho, uh, speaking of the tag team division, let's talk about a team that they can't seem to decide if they want to push or pull the uh, Ricochet Cedric Alexander pairing as MVP's new combination of Brandon Vink and Shane Thorne pick up a victory when Brandon Vink goes full test on Ricochet for the three count. Yeah. As some as somebody who really liked test big boot finish, I'm not as opposed to this as I might be. That being said, do you like the fact that they're doing something with Vink and Thorne now that they're aligned with the MVP, or do you think that they needed to be more consistent in the booking of Cedric and Ricochet here? I don't care about any of these four people. Ricochet and Cedric are amazing wrestlers, amazing talents. Um, why are they together? Is it because they both like to flip? What is their, what's the reason? Are they homies? Do they hang out outside of the ring? Did they have this moment of clarity where they're tired of losing and they feel like they'd be better served in the tag team ranks? Why, why, why are they together? And then you look at Vinkadorn, why is M- Real quick here, as far as that whole why are they together thing, you mean you actually expect them to show some kind of character development, Tony? Come on now. Let's be serious. <laughs> A little bit. Um, and then you have the same question with Vink and Thorne, which also, which can be answered a little more easy, easier. Uh, why are they together? You know, let's use NXT and show why they're together. Let's show what they, what they've done together there or what they've done together anywhere Nothing. else. Aside from, yeah, exactly. Um, why, aside from that, why is MVP interested in them? What kind of caliber of an athlete is he looking for? And what is he looking to gain out of this? When have we seen MVP as a manager in WWE? Keep that in mind, in WWE. What makes him an eye for talent? Why should we believe that he's someone worth believing in as a manager? Um, why does he choose these two? Is it simply because he's mad at Cedric and Ricochet? Is it, you know, what is it? Because they're not, they don't have the belts. Why, why would they care? Why, why, would they, why would that be their target? Why not the Street Profits? Why not the Viking Raiders? You know, like, uh, who cares if they beat Ricochet and Cedric Alexander? So it just, I don't know. Again, I'm asking more questions than I'm giving statements, and the fact that there are questions about this is just problematic. I don't care about any of these answers, but I would assume that someone who they're trying to market to does care about these answers, and they're not getting them. Therein lies the problem of the way that they've been kind of half-assing these call-ups, too, is that, the reason that Shane Thorne and Brandon Vink are paired, and this is the shoot reason, not the kayfabe reason, the shoot reason that Brandon Vink and Shane Thorne are paired is because Mikey Nichols fucked off back to Japan so he could have a life with his family over there. Because he felt that he was making better money and getting to spend more time with his family when he was living in Japan than he was under an NXT contract. And that's why TM61 broke up. Brandon Vink is replacement Mikey Nichols. Granted, he is a much taller arguably as athletic, although not as chemistryic as Mikey Nichols was with Shane Thorne. But that's the reason that they're together. As far as the Cedric and Ricochet thing goes, I, I completely agree with you. I don't understand it either. I don't see why we have to have this team put together when both of these guys are superior individual wrestlers. Honestly, what I would like to see happen is, is if you're going to have nothing for them to do on the main roster, let Adam Pierce have them for 205 Live. Yeah, I mean, and let me clarify. I'm not against them teaming up. I just, I want to care about it, and I don't care. I mean, they, they're still very individualistic. They, they, they come out, you know, to Ricochet's music. 
Um, they're not matching. And, of course, those are, like, old-school wrestling things that maybe people don't care about anymore. But if you're a tag team and I'm supposed to take you seriously as a tag team, I want to see that, you know, visually. I, I want to I see it, even just a little attempt of something, you know, just there. It's, I don't know, maybe that's the one little old-school thing that I – because you know I'm not an old-school wrestling fan per, per se as far as the, the specifics, but I like my tag teams to, you know, look like tag teams. You mentioned MVP when you were talking about Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne. He wasn't the only thing that MVP had his hands involved in on this episode of Raw as he was the host for the VIP lounge with Oscar, Shayna Baszler, and Nia Jax. And Oscar just became my favorite woman in the WWE because I am like 90% sure she called Nia Jax a fat ass. Shit. I don't know, man. I will say that MVP speaking her to her in Japanese and then him translating for her did more for me in that like 0.5 seconds than anything that Oscar has done over the past few weeks. And I know I'm in the minority in that. But I've talked about it before. I just I gain nothing from her diet, her you know, her diatribe of Japanese yelling. I will say this though. I wanted okay. to bring up something that somebody said in the comments real quick um, that kind of gave it a different view on this. I've been mad. I've been bothered by the um, persistence of the WWE to give Asuka a voice without us knowing what the hell she's saying. And I think that it's lazy and it comes off as kind of weird and insulting and a little bit xenophobic. Um, one person in the comment section had asked another person in the comment section of the Raw Report tonight on 411mania.com, um, would you rather have her stumble through, through a broken English promo and come off as unintelligent than what she's doing now? And this is a point of view that I've never looked at before, and I just wanted to bring that to light because it's, it's a fair point. And it's something that I, I, you know, of course, I do raw than I do this podcast immediately, so I haven't had time to process it. But it is a question that is worth asking, you know, me personally. And I know a couple of people are annoyed that Oscar's going out there and just yelling Japanese that none of us understand and no, nobody's trying to translate. Um, but the, the point of it comes across. She's angry, she's excited, and she's going to kick somebody's ass. So do we really need to know what she's saying? Versus a broken English promo where it doesn't come off as as nice as another person's promo, and it doesn't come off. So I don't know. It, it was something that I, I just wanted to bring to light because it's something that I'm really going to have to consider. I think ultimately I still would prefer her to speak English because at least I'd understand and I'd be able to – feel for her. And I can argue that she would probably, even her broken English is probably way better than Rey Mysterio announcing every single syllable in his promo. Okay, I'm going to say this much as far as the Oscar thing goes. Because once you mentioned that, I I sat here and I thought about it while you were finishing your statement. And the first thought that came to mind to me is I think we pick up enough of what Oscar is trying to say that she doesn't necessarily need to speak in fluent English in order, or even broken English to get her point across here. You saw her get, right. you saw her take the piss out of Shayna first because she talked to Shayna first and obviously had a very condescending turn as she turned her back on Shayna while she was talking to her. I don't know if you caught that little piece right there, but that was mm. important because that's Oscar telling Shayna that she's not afraid of Shayna. And then in addition, before she called Naya a fat ass, which again, appreciate it, you very specifically hear Oscar say the name 
Kyrie three times right to Nia. Yeah. Which kind of tells me that they're sort of teasing a babyface turn for the Kabuki Warriors and the fact that Asuka's sticking up for Kyrie against Nia Jax after Nia either injured her or at least it's being played off as though she injured her. Right. I wanted to get your thoughts on that, the fact that Asuka opened up with mentioning Kyrie by name to Nia in order to keep, A, Kyrie's name there even though she's not on these on these particular episodes, and B, to see if it's kind of leaning towards maybe turning the Kabuki Warriors babyface. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's, her, that's her partner. That's, you know, someone she's going to bring up. So it makes sense. As far as turning her, I think by proxy, Asuka's the face simply because of who she's facing in the match, even on just the raw side. Um, you know, she, when you look at the other two, you know, um, doesn't, doesn't really, she kind of has to be the face, you know, especially anybody against mm-hmm. the face. So. I mean, Shayna has kind of that quasi badass thing going for her. Naya is literally just there. Yeah, she literally was just there. Shayna did all right. I just don't like when people say, my actions are going to speak for me, and then they cut a promo. It doesn't doesn't work that way. I need, uh, much like MVP, I need, to, I need to catch up on my Latin because uh, opera non verba, I'm like 90 for sure means that I'm 90 for sure sent, well, I can't even English, let alone Latin right now. Let's try this again. Opera non verba. Yeah, no kidding. I'm stumbling like Oscar speaking English over here. Anyway, um, opera non verba literally translates to actions without words. And then she, like you said, yeah. she proceeded to cut a promo. Like, why yeah. say that if you're going to then talk right immediately afterwards? It made zero fucking sense. And Shayna's never been booked as somebody that's stupid, if I'm being honest. Sorry, yeah, just uh, it, it, it's it's another week in a row where Shayna doesn't look like the brightest meathead. And before this, she was supposed to be the cunning and you know predatorial, um, basically just fucking. I'm gonna bite the back of the neck of the fucking champions. Now she's sitting on a couch picking lint off of her leg. She doesn't appreciate MVP's futon setup. Yeah, it is funny that they put Nia on a fucking stool and they gave Asuka <laughs> and Shayna whole couches. <laughs> Can I point out the irony of that stool, that stool just cracking as soon as they kicked her? Like the stool literally Honestly, fucking broke. You know what would, you know what would be, you know what, if, I promise you this. If that happened, I would feel bad. Because if there's many things that I'm not, I'm not bashing Nia because she's overweight or because she's bigger. I don't, you know, we're not Rick Bailano right here, okay? She's, I, I don't look like that because she, she hurts people. She doesn't seem safe in the ring. She comes off as, you know, not willing to expand her wrestling vocabulary in the ring. Um, in terms of weight and size, like, I, she's, she's very pretty, and I, I try. I don't always succeed, but I try not to make that a factor in why I dislike what she does. So if the stool broke, I would feel really bad. <laughs> the stool definitely broke, Tony. I mean, you're not going to go back and rewatch it, but I can absolutely promise you the stool broke when oh, they kicked her. She, 
Damn. There was a gauntlet match to replace Apollo Crews in the Money in the Bank match. Titus O'Neil apparently is worthy of being in this gauntlet match. He was in this match for 45 seconds, which, in case you're wondering, was about 45 seconds too long. Akira Tozawa <laughs> comes in next to face Bobby Lashley and lasts less time than Titus did. Fucking kidding me? Akira Tozawa is less than a Titus O'Neil? <laughs> Umberto Shelton's in next and he doesn't have any luck against Lashley. Then it goes to Umberto Carrillo and all of a sudden, Bobby Lashley, after having taken the piss out of the three previous competitors, is having so much trouble with Umberto Carrillo putting him away that he gets himself disqualified. What? Your thoughts on the Lashley portion of the gauntlet? Okay. I thought that this entire match, the entire... I'm not a fan of gauntlet matches by the WWE, period. Every single thing is predictable. There's no shocks. There's no wow factor. It doesn't make any sense. People lose in a shorter amount of time than they would if it was a regular match, quote-unquote, and there should be no reason for it. Why would you be tired? Okay, you face three men. And then, of course, commentators are like, this is his fourth guy. Yeah, but the first three matches were like 20 seconds each. So why should we care? Why does that make any sense? Lashley's uninteresting. I didn't really want to see any of this. Of course he was going to beat the people that they brought out um, because you didn't, you didn't believe it. And then you have the one opportunity where you could have something interesting happen with Angel Garza and Austin Theory possibly going at it, and you just decide not to do that, which is fine. That's a choice that was made that isn't wrong or right. It's just the one thing that could have been interesting in this match was that. And then you show a Dairy Queen commercial of AJ Styles like 30 seconds before AJ Styles comes out, you name drop him like 40 fucking times. Like nothing was exciting about this. Everything was predictable. And then the man comes out who in every sense of the word is phenomenal. And AJ Styles is great. There was no change. Okay. And now maybe we, maybe this is going to come in a few weeks, but there was no change from a man who was buried alive. There's no alteration in character. No, him slamming Umberto's leg into the ring post was not an alteration in character. AJ Styles has been a dipshit. AJ Styles has history with Umberto. That wasn't different. I didn't expect him to come out with, like, a shaved head and, like, fucking, you know, bags under his eyes. But I did expect a psychological, that shit fucked with me, and now I'm not the same. You know, as someone pointed out in the comment section, again, uh, they said it reminded him of, every Monday night after the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view, where for weeks they say that this match changes your life and shades years off of your career and is the most devastating match in all of wrestling. And then those same people come Monday night and act as if nothing happened. This guy got buried alive, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what I expected to see when AJ came back. I just feel like they wasted an opportunity because he literally said, yeah, I was buried alive. That doesn't matter. I'm not a zombie. <laughs> like, it's funny, but where's the where's the story? <laughs> it's in his head. They still have time, okay? And he and then this is this could be me, you know, putting the cart before the horse, but it's just I've seen it many times before. And uh this could be a slow break. It could be AJ's eventual 
you know, decline into madness because of what happened to him. But I'm telling you right now, if I get buried alive, I'm I I, w- I wouldn't know how to handle it. First of all, okay, I can't I can't fucking I can't even imagine that. Claustrophobia let me ask you this real, real quick. Okay. Uh, let me, oh, I just called you Rick. You mentioning Baylon earlier had me thinking about about Rick. Uh, let me ask you this, Tony. Do you think that the reason that they're not bringing up the Boneyard match as much as they normally might is because of the fact that they got rid of Gallows and Anderson? No, that's dumb. It had nothing to do with them. AJ was the only see, one that could... got buried under a bunch of fucking dirt. How did that alter see, his it... lifestyle? How did that change him in as a man? See, I think it could, though, because not only did AJ lose that match and whatever forming losing happens to come there, but he also lost his friends because of that match. Yeah, I'm but sure that's you could bring too much of this and that. You don't have, you don't even have to do that. You could. You think there's you really too much could, reality but... there? I think it's unnecessary, and it also it also brings to light something that you know those two guys. No matter what, it's kind of embarrassing, man. You lost your job, like regardless of how happy you were or not. It's like you know they're humans and they're unemployed. That's like a shitty situation that I wouldn't want to use as a story. You know, not everybody's Drake Maverick. So. <laughs> Or Sarah Logan, apparently, because they were name-dropping her left and fucking right the Monday after. Yeah. Do you like AJ as a replacement for Apollo? Do you think they should have left it with Apollo if you were going to pull the trigger on him to begin with? Nah, I mean, if they're going to do this, then at least there's potential for some type of story to tell as a heel. But, I mean, the alternative was he was going to be in the match and he wasn't going to win, so... All right, continuing on. I'm going to skip the promos, the by and large, the promos from the show here, just because I want to talk about the matches more. Show you know I tend to focus more on the matches. Plus, we do have predictions to get to as well, so I want to get to those also. Uh, the one promo that I did want to discuss was the Seth Rollins promo with Charlie Caruso in the ring. I have to say, I think I think Hill Seth is much more confident on the mic than Babyface Seth is. I think that he comes across as a better promo. I think he comes across as a more intellectual promo. I think he comes across as a more convincing promo as a heel than he ever did as a babyface. Well, yeah, I mean, I also think it's easier to be a heel as a wrestler. Um, I'll agree with I that. I think it's just, you know, it's not, it's not exactly a hard to be an asshole. Um, he's got his character down. It's kind of a boring character, but, you know, I'm hoping that they get this story over with and add a little bit more to who he is. Um, so, yeah, he just... He comes off as a dipshit, and that's fine. That's that's. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I will say that I did like the Alistair Black backstage promo. I think more of this kind of character work from Black would be a good thing for him. Yeah, I mean it's great. The only issue I have with his promo is that it um, you, you, your wrestlers are all saying the same shit. They're all using the same. Keywords. They're all saying this is the most unique Money in the Bank match ever. They're all saying the Branding same pal. thing. I know, it, it, but it doesn't create compelling characters. It makes them all the same. And how can Rey Mysterio be the same as Aleister Black? And speaking of Rey Mysterio, this guy just needs to stop talking. He sounds like the kid that the teacher chooses to read the longest paragraph in the book, and every student is just like, ugh. Fuck, she chose Ray. 
That's fucked up, Tony. <laughs> You're not wrong, but that's a fucked up analogy. You know who else should probably not be talking on a microphone? Liv Morgan. <laughs> Poor girl. Yeah, that's, that's next. After last week's Genesis of Morgan, she didn't exactly knock it out of the park this week either. I wonder Look, if she was nervous. I think Liv, <laughs> well, I would think that that would have to be part of it. I will say this much. Liv looked very good in the ring tonight. I thought this is probably the best we've seen Liv look in the ring and I, I would I would say that a lot of that probably has to do with Charlotte. As much as, as I like to bag on Charlotte for being Mrs. Promo like this, everything's kind of sounding the same from her. Inside of the ring, she's probably the best the WWE has. And if she's not the best, she's definitely up there. I think this is the best Liv has looked inside of the ring, um, even before she left, and especially since she's come back here. And while I don't think Liv necessarily needed to win this match in order to make a statement that the new Liv Morgan is here, I think that this match actually helped Liv make that statement that she's there, but she still has a little ways to go before she's able to compete at the top of the card. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was one of those situations where some people will say, like, she shouldn't have lasted that long against Charlotte. Well, why not? You know? (laughs) doesn't mean much. Um, but, yeah, it, it also came across as her um, not in over her head because she's trying really hard. And why shouldn't she be trying? She just got to get that, get that promo delivery down a little better. I think what it is, Sarah Logan was a terrible promo. Let's call a spade a spade here. But Sarah didn't get a whole lot of mic time either. Liv was a terrible promo before, but Liv wasn't getting a whole lot of mic time. She's starting to kind of show why she wasn't getting a lot of mic time, but I would, under, I would think that with practice becomes improvement, right? And that the idea here is that, yeah, she might have a couple of clunkers in, in her Genesis, but eventually Curtis Axel, even after Genesis McGillicully, became something resembling competent on the microphone, especially when he was part of the B team with uh, Bo Dallas. <laughs> these situations here where there's no audience to what her or there's no audience to to boo her for stumbling all over her words, these are these are her improvement classes. <clears throat> these are her learning on the job in order to try to become a better promo. Charlotte not cutting her off every couple of minutes would have probably helped too, but Charlotte's going to Charlotte. Yeah, I really hate that. I hate the little hand gestures. I hate the little voiceovers. Like, I know that naturally, if someone were talking shit to your face, you wouldn't just stand there and take it. I know that. But in wrestling and in movies and in entertainment, there's a role to play. And unless you're adding to the story that is being told, you're just coming off as holier than thou. And that's just that's belittling Liv Morgan the performer, not Liv Morgan the character. Ugh, she bugs me. Gene. Do you know what I think it is? Why this this bothered me more so than anything about it? Because the last person we saw do stuff like this was Sasha, and that's because it was completely in Sasha's character to do it. I don't give a fuck what you mm-hmm. have to say. 
Charlotte shouldn't be feeling like that. She's helping the next generation, air quotes on an audio podcast, with her involvement in NXT right now. And yet the current generation that's on Monday Night Raw, she's going to stand there and belittle, 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 whatever. Belittle. Mm-hmm. What fucking sense does that make? Well, it just doesn't work as a character. If you're saying you're not worth my time, then all Charlotte had to do was like, I'm not here to listen to this. Go away. <laughs> if she's not worth your time, why wrestle her in the first place? Mm-hmm. Especially since you have the NXT title, you're probably contracted to NXT right now. I would assume that's how that would work out. Have to be on the brand that you represent as champion. And there is that Charlotte Eo Shirai match is coming Wednesday on NXT television, which I'm looking forward to, but I'm nervous at the same time. Because if Charlotte beats Eo, I'm going to be just as pissed as I was when Charlotte beat Oscar at WrestleMania two years ago. Main event Drew McIntyre takes on Murphy, who has apparently lost his buddy officially. Kind of a clever ending as uh, Murphy tries to mock McIntyre by doing the Claymore countdown, and then as soon as he comes out of the claim, out of the corner, he eats the Claymore for the pinfall at six minutes. Uh, like, I liked the match, but I don't think it did much for Murphy because, yeah, he was in there with the heavyweight champion, but it wasn't a super competitive match in there with the heavyweight champion. Like, M- McIntyre took most of the match. Well, you have to you have to consider which kind of champion Drew McIntyre is, according to the WWE. And he's of the Brock Lesnar oak, where he is completely untouchable. He will not be losing or going toe-to-toe with people. Um, he's going to demolish them. Um, that's just that's just because he's big. Whereas you see someone like Seth Rollins, he's going to go and you know kind of have that equal footing until the very end. So it's kind of obvious why they did that. Um, I don't really care. Murphy's not a big enough player to me in my mind um, to even be someone who should go toe to toe. He's also being looked at as a disciple, as someone who's you know being sent to the slaughter. So and they said they said as much throughout the show. So the match didn't bother me. I mean, I didn't think it was a bad one, but I also thought it was kind of a placeholder, if anything, to get to the eventual, um, you know, Sunday match. I did like the ending though. I love that. I love the the slight twist. It, it made it a little bit better. <clears throat> well, actually, I kind of wanted to talk about that whole disciple thing because Murphy kind of brought that up when he had some mic time earlier in the show in a statement that I thought was really interesting. He mentioned that he's with Seth Rollins because Seth Rollins believed in him when Murphy was at his lowest. Kayla then, or not Kayla, Charlie then asked Seth, uh, Buddy if, or Murphy, keep wanting to call him Buddy. Charlie then asks Murphy, hey, Charlie Murphy, if mm-hmm. Murphy thinks that Seth Rollins can beat Drew McIntyre. And it was Murphy's response there that I think lays the table for something big down the road between Murphy and Rollins. Murphy said, I think Seth can beat McIntyre, but I know I can. Mm-hmm. And I think that did more for Murphy than the match with McIntyre even did. Because you're seeing kind of a persona develop. You're seeing kind of a confidence being shown in Murphy in his own abilities. 
regardless of how Claymore kicked they may have been in six minutes and 20 seconds. But you're seeing Murphy starting to take more responsibility for his own career and starting to kind of break away from Seth, the grip that Seth may have on him. I mean, it's good to see even the smallest of character development. Um, And he's one of those guys that is going to be around for a while. I mean, one would assume. So it's just not his time, which is weird using Seth Rollins speak during this particular analysis. But realistically, he has a role to play, and he's he's doing it well. I I think Murphy's only like late 20s, too, so there's plenty of meat on the bone for this kid. Mm -hmm. He hasn't even hit his best years yet. That wraps us up for Monday Night Raw, thus bringing us to our final reaction for the two shows. Tony, favorite match or moment of the week? Um, I had to choose, which I do. That's what this podcast is based on. <laughs> I act so surprised every single time. I'm going to give it to... Uh, the Mandy Mandy Rose and um, excuse me, the Mandy Rose segment basically where her where their story basically you know took another step forward and I don't know I just think it, I feel like it's it's one of the easiest stories I've ever told but it's coming off really really well. So not so much and the match Sonya with Carmella really but the post. It. So not so much the match yeah, with Carmella exactly. but more so the post match segment with with Sonia afterwards. Yeah. That makes sense. I could see that. I'm going to go with the Viking Raiders and the and, and the uh, Street Profits tag, tag team match tonight. I actually thought it was really good. I Again, I hate the whole beat the champions to earn a title shot cliche. It's overdone. It's stupid. It makes your tag team champions look inf- – or any champion really look inferior. What's the point of having a championship on somebody if they can't look strong enough to carry it? They say that the man makes the belt or that the belt makes the man, it realistically neither of them is making anything when you're constantly having people lose non-title matches. The match was good, but I didn't like the result. Uh, Greg, uh, Greg Watry, Tony, least favorite match or moment of the week? Well, Nia didn't do anything really insulting, so that's, you know... Um, I'm, I'm going to only the, had a brief backstage like, bit. Yeah, I'm going to say the nine, the first ninety percent of the gauntlet match, just a complete waste of time. Hmm. I'm going to go with Sheamus beating up Michael Cole on a weekly basis. <laughs> and actually, at one point, asking Michael Cole if he was going to get a singlet back on. Don't put that into the universe, Seamus. Those of us who remember would rather forget it. Show ratings for Raw and SmackDown, Tony. Uh, SmackDown was, I'd say, 6 out of 10. Raw, I want to say 5 out of 10. I just, it dragged Forever. I'm going to give both shows a six this week. I thought that Raw had its moments. I enjoyed the Charlotte and Liv match, even if I didn't care for for Charlotte's 
the way Charlotte conducted herself during the promo. I thought the match was pretty good, and it's the best Liv has looked in her WWE career. And I also, like I said, I enjoyed the tag team the tag team match between the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders. Overall on SmackDown, I thought Brian and I would be really curious to see how crowds would react to Brian and Corbin because they had surprisingly decent chemistry in their match. Yeah, well, that's it's Daniel Bryan. No, I don't disagree with that. I'm sure Brian. I'm sure the fact that Brian is as good as Brian is helps get the best matches possible out of Corbin. But at the same time, Corbin more than held up his end of the bargain as well. Mm-hmm. Sorry, had to had to kill a mosquito. <laughs> good for them. Fuck. MVP for the week. Um, I'll give it to Liv. It was a great, great showing for her. Happy for her. Not so much the promo. I'm actually going to give credit to somebody here you gave credit to earlier. I'm going to say my MVP for the week is Mandy Rose. Cute. This is why we've been doing this show as long as we have, everybody. We can finish each other's reactions. We can finish each other's final reactions. That sounds very wrong, and I'm sorry I said it. Easy. <laughs> I'm not sorry he said it. <laughs> Giggity. Four-way tag team match for the SmackDown tag team titles. Oh, shit, I forgot about that. Um, you know, they're pulling the trigger on all these new people, so I wouldn't be surprised if they gave it to the Forgotten Sons and then eventually forgot about them. I want the belts back on Miz and Morrison, so I'm picking Miz and Morrison. Bailey and Tamina for the SmackDown Women's title. Oof. I hope this shit is short. Uh, Bailey's going to win. Yeah, Bailey retains. Um, can I just point out the something too? Um, you know how we always complain about the heavyweight champions not being there? I have not heard much in the way of backlash at all over the fact that Becky Lynch hasn't been around these last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, she doesn't do much when she's here. So we could use a break. There's only so, That's fine. <laughs> there's only so many times she can drive that big rig up to WWE Performance Center and us care. I know. I hear you. I'm with you. Braun Strowman defends the Universal title against Bray Wyatt. Broad. Bray. He loses again. Disagree. I think Bray gets the belt back. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, we could, one could argue that Braun was never supposed to win it anyway, so... Did you see that they edited Roman Reigns out of the top ten that Money in the Bank moments tonight? They, they are really they serious about nobody saying his fucking name right now. That's so crazy. That's so much energy to just erase somebody for 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 what reason? I don't know. That's weird. I don't ever like to believe those types of rumors from people about the WWE. But damn. <laughs> That one was pretty blatantly obvious. Yeah. 
I'm going to hell for this, but Benoit! Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm flying first class. Okay, uh, Drew McIntyre defends the Raw Championship against Seth Rollins. Uh, Drew. Drew's definitely winning that. We're going, the Drew's going to be a long-term champ, and I think he deserves to be I think he deserves to have that crowd reaction. Can I throw points. out a bold, a bold-ish prediction? Sure. No contest. Ugh. They battle out, and the match eventually gets thrown out because they're brawling too much, and then it sets up a no-disqualification stipulation for a return match. And the only reason I think that is because AJ Styles just returned. If Styles would have been back earlier and staying heel, apparently, then he would have been the next in line to feud with McIntyre. Nah, man. They're building up the next challenge here. Haven't you noticed? I'll bite. It's not the Monday Night Messiah. It's the modern-day Maharaja. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's the next one. There's a lot of story. There's a lot of story to tell there, and Liz Puglisi will appreciate your thoughts on that. Yeah, there's a lot of story to tell. It's I don't, I don't know if it's a good story. <laughs> not not no. right now, because what's going to happen oh, is Drew's going to roll his eyes like, oh god. All right. Well, here's the thing. Now that Heath Slater has been fired, he's going to go out onto the independents once they actually become a thing again. He's going to light it the fuck up, just like McIntyre did, and then he's going to come back, and he's going to be an eventual heavyweight champion, too. Yeah, and then we're going to get a triple threat at WrestleMania, and it's going to be amazing. <sighs> no, it would be. It would. It actually, it's a good story to tell, but it just won't. That's not how the WWE works. But no, I really, I do think they're they're building up gender for, for at least... Uh, a one-off, you know, uh, temporary challenger position. I don't know why. I just feel that way. Officially, I'm picking McIntyre, but I would not be surprised to see a no-contest finish. Women's money in the bank. Oh, God. I'm so just... How can you be worried about something that's pre-taped? Like, I'm afraid someone's going to die knowing full well that we've seen everybody on TV that was in the match, I'm just, ugh, it's either going to be a whirlwind of shit or it's going to be so boring because there's no crowd to react to a bunch of table smacks and running into file cabinets and a random cameo of Vince McMahon at his desk. Um, uh, fuck, I don't, I don't even know. I'm going to, I'm going to, Say Oscar. That's just because I don't see anyone on SmackDown winning it, and Nia doesn't need to, and I don't want her to, and Shayna definitely doesn't need the briefcase. Although there could be a good story to tell on that one. See, I think there's a better story to tell if Shayna wins the case. So I'm taking Shayna. Yeah, that would be my second guess. Especially with the whole appearing out of nowhere chokeout in the build to Mania that Shayna pulled when Becky was cutting the promo on the stage and Shayna yeah. popped up through the entrance and just choked her out from behind with no foreshadowing whatsoever. Something like that happening as well, once again, with her having the briefcase could lead to her being crowned the champion, and I think that that would be a way to go with it. 
So mm-hmm. I'm going to pick Shayna in the hopes that Shayna doesn't get fucked the way that Damian Sandow did with the case a couple of years back. And damned if that boy didn't try and save himself. We've been doing this show for six years. I think my favorite part of those six years throughout this entire time has been Damien Ms. Dow. <laughs> the stunt double. My God. <laughs> that shit was fucking dope. <laughs> that was like a precursor. That's like a precursor to Orange Cassidy. Like, they're not the same, but there's some similarities. And yeah. Men's money in the bank. Uh, this is tough because, you know, I, I, so Larry invited me to his podcast after what seems like way too long. Either he went down the list or he completely forgot that I'm probably the guy who's been there the fucking longest. But I'm hoping that we're and has talk the- about. And has the most podcast experience on the website. Yeah. Well, you know, to be honest with you, the owner of 411 wanted me to do a podcast, um, but I I can't do two podcasts a week. And, and like, I if you don't want to, you know, like, we're, we're Greg's property, and I'm pretty sure Greg would be really upset. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, one thing that I, I'm hoping we're able to talk about is the idea of the Money in the Bank briefcase what it should be represented as and what I just don't see it being used as for a very long time. We've talked about this at least six times um, (laughs) where, you know, the briefcase should be making somebody who isn't made yet. It should be used to kind of, you know, push someone. And over the years we've seen it being given to people who don't even need it at all. So much, in fact, that we've seen that ver- those very people lose it just because they didn't know what the fuck to do with it. <laughs> so uh, when you look at the people involved on this one and you look at the possibility of winners, it's hard for me to choose someone confidently because I just don't – I don't know, man. I don't see that the possibility of uh, <clears throat> them picking picking someone that could run with it for a very long time or could hold on to it and be like, this is going to be mine for the foreseeable future. Um, with that being said, I think they're going to give it to AJ Styles. I have an emotional pick, and I have a thought with my with my actual brain. One's a hard pick, one's a head pick, if that makes sense, Tony. Uh-huh. My emotional pick would be Otis, because I think <laughs> that there's a culmination of – I think that there is a culmination of a storyline to be told where Otis is involved in a championship match, and then that bitch Mandy turns on him. Because A, Otis doesn't belong in the main event. B, Mandy's probably better as a heel, even though she has been handling her run as a baby face quite well. Mm-hmm. I, think the, I think the obvious pick to win it, though, is Aleister Black. Yes, you see, one would assume because he's one of those guys who, you know, he isn't quite there yet as a challenger but could use this to kind of catapult him into that arena. But I haven't seen them give it to somebody at at his level in a very long time. 
I would make the argument that Aleister Black is one of those guys who would call his shot well in advance, too, similar to what Rob Van Dam did in 2006 with the One Night Stand pay-per-view. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Aleister use it to call his shot for SummerSlam. <clears throat> I think that there is a story to be told with the Money in the Bank winner actually using it to cash in at a pay-per-view for a straight-up one-on-one match. And a guy like Aleister Black is not going to want to sneak attack somebody for, for a championship opportunity. Aleister Black is going to want to look you square in the eyes and then kick you right in the fucking jaw. Man, and that's a story we haven't seen done time. with Money in the Bank in a long time. I didn't catch that, Tony. What was that last part? I can't believe they're both going on at the same time. I have good news. We will uh-huh. have an extra person to discuss the to discuss the clusterfuckery next week. Oh, that's fun. Liz has given me her word that she wants to be involved on next week's show. Well, talk to her then. <laughs> You'll be here too. Yes, I will. Maybe, depending on how much California is back open by then. (laughs) Happy anniversary, Tony. Oh, thanks, boo. And thanks to everybody that's ever listened to an episode of the podcast. We greatly appreciate you guys checking us out. Honestly, we're just two idiots talking wrestling. We're hoping people listen. We're not banking on it, but if you do, we thank you. Yes, you are appreciated. Where can people find you online, Tony? 411mania.com. I'm also on Twitter at TonyAcero411, where I am incredibly hilarious. The shortcut to get to where Tony is on 411 is 411mania.com backslash wrestling. You can get to him from the main page because they always post, like, the raw articles up on the main page and stuff, but the backslash wrestling is probably the quicker way to do it. He has a couple columns up over at thechairshot.com as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and I'm thinking of of at least doing a couple in the future. I haven't released a set. I'm just working on a schedule. Well, you know who could be your inspiration? It's somebody that just recently returned to columning themselves. Oh, I saw, and I thought to myself, God, I'm still so much better than him. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we still love you, Steve Cook. (laughs) I love Steve Cook. I, but he is so just—he's just a genuine human being. Make sure you guys check reviews out reviews of some shows. We're just—it is what it is, Tony. It is what it is. <laughs> yes, Steve. Yes, it is. <laughs> Make sure you guys check out uh, Steve Cook's news from Cook's Corner over on thechairshot.com. Can I throw a real quick plug to one of your former co-writers at Four One One? I don't care. Does the name Aaron Hubbard ring a bell? Oh, oh, yeah. He's been doing random wrestling reviews over on his Facebook page, and they've been really entertaining. I've been checking out a lot of them. I even suggested a couple of shows for him to check out during this quarantine. So make sure you guys check out Aaron Hubbard's random wrestling reviews over on Facebook.com as well. I'm online on Twitter and Instagram at H-E-B the Eagle. I'll blatantly tell you right now that I barely use either of those. You can definitely find me on Facebook, Harry Broadhurst, or 
you can find myself and Tony inside of the Chair Shot Wrestling Group over on Facebook as well. He's the Dow Since Day One co-host, Tony Acero. I'm Harry Broadhurst. For the line in the sand, Andrew Belass, the world fat-ass champion of the world, Jimmy Christopher, the man from the Cajun Quarter, Rick Bailon, and the co-hostess with the mostest, Miss Liz Puglisi. This has been a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network. We are the reaction, and we thank you for listening. We'll be back at you next Monday night to discuss Money in the Bank 2020. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Deuces, bitches. Old school theme song time. Thanks for checking us out for the last six years. We hope you guys are we're hope we're around to entertain you for at least six more. We appreciate you listening. Make sure you guys check out thechairshot.com for all of your news, reviews, and everything else that's fit to print over on thechairshot.com. We are a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network. This has been the reaction for May 4th, 2020. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>